It's the time of the year that we celebrate Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit that launched the early church. And we normally talk about things that involve power, power in connection with the coming of the Holy Spirit. But do we really understand how God's power is evidenced in our daily lives? Lots of people talk about wanting to change the earth, change this world. We work with young people in Indonesia, problem young people a lot across the nation, and all the young people want to change the earth. Ephesians 3.20, I want to see above and beyond all that I can ask or think. I want God to do that in my life. But how do we start? How do we change this world? And when we start to move out and want to do something that's going to make an impact, pretty quickly we're going to be coming to face with our own frailty and weakness and inability. And it's at that moment that God shows up in our weakness to show his strength. When we start to move out, all of a sudden, in the middle of our weaknesses, it's the moment that God shows up. Because when we act in our weaknesses, God also acts in our weaknesses. In Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33, Jesus is coming, walking on the water towards the boat where his disciples are, and he calls out to Peter, hey, Pete, come on out, walk on over here to me. And Peter comes out of the boat and starts to walk on the water. We know this story. What's the boat? If you were in Peter's place right now, What's that boat that you're being called to walk out of, to get out of? That comfort zone that you feel like, hey, I know how to function here and I function well. And Jesus says, hey, get out of it. And you start walking on the water. What is that water? What's that represent to you? Probably all those obstacles and things that come at you that say you can't do it. And for Peter, it was the wind and the waves. And as long as he could see Jesus, <laughs> looking at Jesus, he could walk on the water. He could change the world. But as, long, as soon as he started looking at those waves and the frailties and the things coming against him, those challenges that threatened, he started to think. Think about this personal application in your life right now. We need a generation to rise up today that will exceed the limitations of previous generations. Every generation learns from the generation prior to it. They inherit things. They inherit values. They inherit systems from the previous generation and they keep them going. We need a generation today that wants to exceed those things that they have inherited from the past generation. 
In Indonesia, we have a saying, <laughs> we want our kids to follow in the faith of their fathers. I don't agree with that. I don't want my kids to follow in my faith. I want them to exceed my faith. We need a generation that's going to say, hey, we want to exceed anything that's ever happened before. And it's a phrase I'm coming more and more to use now. Uh, PPT, <laughs> post-pandemic transformation. I want to see post-pandemic transformation. That we're coming out of this thing and it's not, oh, we're kind of coming out of it. I don't know how it's been here, but in Indonesia, people have had churches, individuals, groups, organizations have had three reactions to this whole COVID stuff. One is, we're going to hold on until it's over. Just kind of hold on and then we'll get back to the old normal. Wrong. Or we've had groups that say, hey, we've already got these small groups going. We can't get together. No problem. We'll just keep the small groups going wrong then there's the third which i have encouraged that says god is in control and has always been in control and covid did not surprise god and he could have stopped it in its tracks but he allowed this to happen for the sake of end times harvest in order to launch us into things we have ne would have never discovered if it hadn't been for this and to see doors opening, to see through the obstacles and challenges, new opportunities. Post-pandemic transformation has yielded transformation of worship. Worship now is two-way communication with God. It may have, it may have uh, music. It may, we have breakdancing worship where our breakdancers can't get together and do it anymore. So they do hand worship. And they dance with their hands. They do all kinds of stuff. But two-way communication with God, expressing yourself and hearing from God, no longer a performance that we learn to put on at a certain time of the week. Transformation of prayer. Where we're learning to pray now according to the harvest. Pray for the harvest. Pray with the harvest. Pray with non-believers. Holding city-wide prayer times with people from other religions saying, God, be merciful on us. Help us through this time of hardship. And it's not just prayer with a shopping list, asking God, please bless me. But prayer has been transformed. Transformed. Transformation of community. It's no longer house churches, simple churches in the homes, but now it's families where healing and recovery happen for everybody who's part of this group. My generation, some of you here, <laughs> Central, or part of my generation, we probably had about 80% of my generation had some religious interest. But folks, you know what the statistic is today. It's 15%. And of those 15%, maybe three are serious. And we have a generation of young people who are not really interested in religious activities, but guys, they have incredible spiritual hunger like never before. Because most of our young people are coming out of broken homes. We have a movement in Indonesia about 10,000 young people in our youth movement. I gathered a couple years ago with my leaders, 14 leaders, 
ages 18 to 25, guys and gals. These are the leaders. And I asked them, "How many of you,、uh, when you're growing up, were in families where you had both your parents?" Raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. I asked again, "Well, how many of you, when you're growing up, had one parent, a father or a mother?" Raise your hand. Six of them raised their hand. How many of you grew up without either one of your parents around? Eight of them raised their hand. Guys, that's normal in Indonesia, and I think it's becoming more and more normal around the world. And they have incredible spiritual hunger from a broken background. And the church that knows how to restore broken young people is going to be the church that's going to finish off the Great Commission. So today we can't wait for another generation. So right now I just want to read a couple of verses, three verses from Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verses seven through ten. This is the key: Is God's grace really enough for us during this COVID time? Here's what it sounds like to me: From becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations, there was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, "Take it away from me," but the Lord said, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses." In insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. First thing we see from this verse seven, and it's God's desire that our weaknesses are surfacing. You know, Paul wrote verses one through six, which I didn't read. It's like a application for a new job. <laughs> This is my history, my personal history, and I got a lot of good things <laughs> going. It's all my qualifications. You know, I saw things nobody else saw. I experienced relationship with God that nobody else has experienced. But folks, the more mankind is blessed, the more mankind is tends to be proud. Many people admit their life was better off when they were poor. <laughs> okay, example: I do marriage counseling, and I'll ask couples, "Hey guys, when was the best time in your married life together?" And you know the answer, Pastor <laughs> Tim probably knows. Ninety type, ninety percent of the time, say, "Wow, Jim, the best time were the first years of our married life. First years when we didn't have anything; we just had each other." And we had God. What we feel we need in this life isn't always what we need. That's true personally. It's true corporately for churches, for organizations. Okay, an example. I was interior in Papua one time in a village in the lowlands next to a river. And I was asking, sitting with the people, and I asked them, "What do you feel as your felt need? What does this village need?" And to my surprise, they said, "Jim, we need canned fish, canned sardines." 
I said, what? You're riding at a river with fresh fish here. Why? Because there had been merchants, traders come through looking for crocodile skins, and they traded cans of sardines for the crocodile skins. Good price. And these people saw these cans of sardines and said, wow, this means we've arrived. This means we really, we're like the outsiders now. We're coming into the modern world. So that's our felt need. It wasn't, but it's what they thought was their felt. God knows our needs better than we know. And often we sing the song, Jesus is all I need. But guys, he's not all we need until he's all we've got. And what COVID now has done has been taking away every crutch one at a time till we realize Jesus is all we need. Whatever causes me to cry out to God, help me. That's good. That's good for me. Whatever causes me to run to God, that's good for me. Second thing we learn from these verses in, in verse 9, our weaknesses teach us about God's grace. It's a teacher. We're in school. I never want to stop learning. People ask me about my education. Uh, Indonesia, everybody wants to know, what's your degrees? <laughs> I have too many degrees. I'm embarrassed about it because 90% of what I learned in school, I never put on practice on the field. So I just say, I'm a lifetime learner. I don't want to ever stop to the last day of my life. And what's going on now, COVID is, is teaching us about God's grace. When we're taken out of our comfort zone, that's when we see God show up and move. There are two principles at work here. I say this to our people in Indonesia all the time. Hey, we prepare. We prepare as if everything depends on us. And we move out and act as if everything depends on God. All the time. That's our mentality. We need God's grace for salvation. We need God's grace for every step in this life of following him. In every step of discipleship. Third thing we see from these verses, a response in the face of weaknesses is the key that opens the door to God's intervention in our life. Our response is the key. There's a question that's asked me a lot. Jim, what is the key for someone to receive abundant blessing from God? And I always answer, that person has to experience abundant loss first before he's ready to experience abundant blessing. Who does the power of God rest on? According to these verses, not those who are super spiritual and got it all together. But those who respond correctly to what God is doing, the process that God is using in their lives. And we don't always have it figured out. And it's okay to not have it figured out. I don't think anybody can explain what's gone on this last year and a half with COVID completely. 
And the future may be stuffed and involved in things that we can't even see right now. But we don't have to have it figured out. We just have to be responding correctly. God, you're in control. Open my eyes to see the possibilities, the doors you're opening, the harvest that you're allowing us to move into. It's the hardest time of my life, and it's the best time of my life at the same time. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know, Mark 10, 7, 8, Jesus, a guy comes, a scribe comes to Jesus, hey, good teacher, and Jesus stops him. Hey, guy, don't call me good teacher because I'm just doing what I see my father doing on this earth. I think that's what we want. Don't call us great church. Don't call us a great uh, uh, legacy, <laughs> written more books than anybody else. No, I just want to do what I see my father doing on this earth. And I don't want to miss any open door. You know, lots of people have regrets that they're in their life. My motto is, at my last day on this earth, I don't want to have any regrets. Every door that God has opened up, I've run through. I didn't miss it. What previously has made us fearful, maybe ready to panic, no longer influences us, us that way because we've died with Christ and we're wanting to see what is he up to right now and be with him in it. You know who one of my heroes is? Malala from Pakistan, who got the Nobel Peace Prize a few years ago. This young girl who, in a very radical place in Pakistan, was standing up for women, girls' rights to go to school, and then somebody came and shot her in the face. And I've seen her interview over and over and over until I've memorized it. And she said, hey, they can take my life from me, but they can't take my dreams from me. Guys, we need that kind of attitude right now in the midst of this COVID stuff. And be glad in our weaknesses. Be glad in the restrictions. Hey, it's okay. I'm going to glory in the hard times, glory in the weaknesses. I'm going to move out and act in my weaknesses. I'm going to meet God in my weaknesses. We had four kids who live with us get covid you know we have 20 kids that live with us. We live in a commune. My old hippie days continued. And uh, yeah, Joan was going out praying for COVID patients. And the boy who was taking her on the motorcycle uh, contracted it, <laughs> brought it back to our place as he brought Joan home, and four of our kids got it. But not just that. I've had several friends die and I've had to conduct way too many COVID funerals that I'm really tired of COVID funerals. And I know this isn't a hoax, and this isn't a game. It's been one of the hardest times of our life, but it's been one of the best. Our whole life has been like that. Central sent us out. You know, I brag about this church a lot because I know very few missionaries who can say, hey, the church that sent me out 40, 40, 45 years ago still is my major supporting church. And many pastors have come and gone, but the heart of mission is still there. You guys are doing something that rarely happens. 
And when we went out, you know, Joan and I had this, this motto in our life, and we still have it till today. We want to do those things that nobody else can do or wants to do. If somebody else can do it, let them do it. We want to do those things that nobody else wants to do. Have that attitude in COVID right now. We want to be doing that stuff that no other church, no organization, or no other believers are thinking about. We want to be on the cutting, innovative edge. Not waiting for someone to re- do something. Okay, we'll do that. Maybe we can be the ones that everybody wants to model. I'll talk about that in a minute in Papua, but when we started out in, in Papua, you know, I came out of North America. I did not have a theology of weakness. I did not have a theology of suffering. Yeah, a theology of prosperity, huge here. That's been exported around the world. But when we got to this malaria-infested swampland, and I got malaria, and I got malaria again, and I got malaria again, over a hundred times I've stopped counting some of the worst malaria in the world, impervious to all known medicine. I said, God, where are you? I believe you're a healing God. I'm praying for healing. I have my church praying for healing. I'm still sick. Why am I still sick? Because a theology of suffering says our God is the healer God, Jehovah Rapha. He wants to and can heal at any moment. Sometimes he delays healing for an, a more glorious purpose where we can reflect the nature of Jesus to people around us in the midst of our suffering. It's not about us and getting what we want. It's about his name being glorified in this earth the way that he wants it. I got sick all the time, first year, second year, third year. A lot of you know this story. Man, always sick with malaria, being evacuated out. I couldn't understand it until we had this move of God where 80% of our tribe came to faith. And a little bit later, uh, a few years later, I'm sitting in a hut around the fire cooking food. And the men say, Jim, do you remember when you were so sick in those early days? Yeah, I remember. I can't forget it. We see you get evacuated out. We thought, he'll never come back. But you came back. He got sick again, evacuated out. We thought, he'll never come back. But you came back. And we knew in our hearts, man, this guy has something so important to say to us. We better listen to it. You hear this? That God would use my suffering as preparation for the gospel in their lives. And guys, if I can suffer so that a tribe can come to Jesus, why not? It's not about me and my enjoyment. It's about God's purposes on this earth being accomplished. Then my kids got sick all the time. You know, Amy, Jenny, Megan, always getting malaria over and over and over. Uh, Amy and Jenny in coma for a week, unconscious in the jungle, no plane be able to come get them. We're wondering if this is the time God's going to call them and take them home and just dousing them with cold water and praying over them. And after a week, finally, they came good. But it was tough. I had missionaries criticizing, uh, reprimanding me, telling me, Jim, you need to get out of there. It's too dangerous. You can't be there. You need to go back to America. And I struggled until I prayed one day, God, I believe your call is still in our life to be here. I'm doing everything I can as a faithful husband and father to take care of my family. I have to trust you to make up for my lack. And I got peace that passed all understanding that day. And I knew that 
God would always make up for my lack. And my kids don't regret growing up in the jungle one bit. They feel like they're the most blessed kids, the richest kids in the world because of their experiences in the jungle. And I'm so proud of them. In the midst of weakness, God developing character that's going to change the world. You know what COVID has done? It's taken away all of our religious activities that used to, we could hide our weak character behind all of our activities. All those activities are taken away for whatever religion, not just church, but our Muslim friends, our Buddhist friends, our Hindu friends, same thing. Religious activities are gone, so all the character flaws are coming out. And if we embrace that and say, thank you, Lord, for showing me my weakness, I'm ready for your strength now to come. It will come. Even in church, finding new ways, realizing there maybe is a better way of doing this thing we call church and discovering God's power in it. When COVID came, we were the first church in Papua to close down our services. We have the biggest church in our region, about 1,000 people, mostly young people. And when COVID came, I said, hey, quit, because we have small groups all about rehabilitating problem young people. So, hey, we'll stop doing the Sunday celebration. No problem. Yeah, let's, let's look at this uh, live streaming thing. <laughs> so the next week, I sit up here. We have a cameraman, one of our kids, uh, young people. They're really smart with this technology. I'm not smart, but they know it all. And so I'm sitting here with several of my leaders a meter apart, and we do a Discovery Bible study, and we do spontaneous worship, and it's awesome. Some of the heaven coming to earth. We're enjoying it, but a problem happened. When we're done, someone showed me the, the statistics, and we had all these people following us. <laughs> Huge popularity. And I stopped in my tracks, and I sat down with my leaders, and I said, guys, if Jesus was here on earth, would he be doing live streaming? And I'm not saying anything about a North American situation. I'm just saying for us there, we sat down and said, if Jesus was on earth, he probably wouldn't be doing this because Jesus always avoided popularity. Whenever he got too popular, he went someplace secluded. So we stopped it, and this forced us to do something that we went into we have never dreamed, discovery families and discovery kids, where we said it's not about drawing everybody here, it's about equipping them to do church in their homes, do church in their ball fields, do church in the market, do church wherever they can gather a couple people, Let, let's equip them for doing it. Discovery families. And we started doing this, and it took off. Sunday school, we knew there's not going to be Sunday school maybe for a long time or maybe forever. So we said, discovery kids. Let's start training families, parents to do Sunday school for their children and in a way that their children can then do it with their friends. And it just multiplied, went viral. And now we're doing it for 2,000 groups around the country, discovery families, discovery kids every week. And if you want to see the materials, you've got it on your website. First time I've done it in English. I've never done this in English. But we do it every week in Indonesian, giving, equipping people to do it. Keep it simple so that everybody can do it. 
We had couples saying, hey, Jim, I, we can't do this. We, we can't do, we have to have the Sunday school workers. <laughs> no, it, you can do it too. So it's about equipping them so that they start doing it and then their kids do it with their friends. It can work. And then the other thing that happened was online training. I don't, Tim, I don't, I'm not much of an online person. In fact, I rejected online training. I tried, I want to be face-to-face with people. I want to have human touch. But when COVID happened, I was pushed. People said, Jim, you got to do this. This this, disciple-making movements, we got to hear this. So please put it online. So I did it online. Again, went viral across the country. We've had 10 generations now of doing online DMM training. And I've never had results like we have now. After two weeks of training, 60% of the people being trained have found a person of peace, a person prepared by God, a non-believer that has spiritual hunger from God already in him. And then his group, his, his oikos, his community, not be believers, coming together to say, hey, let's find spiritual truth that helps us in our struggles in life. 60% do that after just two weeks. I've never had those results before. So then they said, okay, let's do it in other countries. And so I said, okay, English? Okay, I'll try to do it in English. So we produced it in English. It's in 12 different countries now. But guys, I'm not, I'm just saying this. I would have never dreamed this. It was way out of my box of understanding of what God wanted to do in my life. And because of COVID, it launched me into something I would have never dreamed. And lastly, uh, refugees and, and disaster relief. During COVID, we've had more disasters in Indonesia than ever before. We're the ring of fire, you know that. We have 12 active volcanoes now in Indonesia. We're having uh, earthquakes almost daily in some place. Tsunami alerts, then we have a cyclone that hit the Timorese Islands. Never been a cyclone before, but because of climate change and the warming of the oceans, the meteorology department says, hey, be ready for cyclones every year now. So this doesn't take us by surprise because back in the tsunami 15 years ago, we were in, in Aceh for the tsunami relief and we started training people across the country And now whenever a disaster happens, within 24 hours, we have somebody on site. We have three teams in three different areas this year doing rehabilitation. But again, it's doing it through discovery. Going into a place and not just saying, hey, we want to build your houses for you. We want to feed you. No, we're going to come in and help you rebuild your area to dream what God wants to do in your area. And it's going to be better after the disaster than it was before. Can you believe that? Can you believe that you are still alive after this this disaster because of God's will and he has something even more great for your region? It's not wallowing in self-pity, poor us because of our disaster, but saying we're still around because God has something good for us and walking with them in it and they then rehabilitate their own area. And this is happening in some of the hardest places in Indonesia. And it wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been ready if it, it, COVID has launched us into new places long-term that we would have never dreamed. All this is to say, folks, that I really believe this is the best time of our lives. I want to finish every year saying this has been the best year of my life. No matter what has happened, 
maybe it's been mountain peaks, maybe it's been low valleys. Maybe I've been sick in bed for months. It's still the best time of my life. Because in my weakness, God's strength is made manifest. I want that to happen every day of my life. I want to pray for you all here because this is my home church and you'll always be in my heart. You'll never leave my heart. I'm so proud of you. So I want to pray. Father God, thank you for Central Christian. Thank you for what you've done from the very beginning in this church in my life, for forming me, for grooming me, for believing in me, for launching me. Thank you, God. And I ask that you now launch them into something fresh in 2021. Let it never be the same. Let them see with your eyes, God, what's going on around San Jose, the Bay Area, and move out with you. Give them a fresh excitement that each and every day this week, something new is going to happen. And to thank you for the process that's going on. Do exceedingly above all that we can ask or think. Do it your way, and we, you don't have to ask our permission. We will always run with you wherever you open the door. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.